This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Rawinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hello, this is Alan Aturdi from Dresden, Germany, and you're listening to the Exquisite Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Eleanor, what an intro. Eleanor, if we have a better intro than that this year, we're doing well. How, how good was that? Catherine, how are you doing? I'm exquisite. Thanks, David. Yeah. Well, bit up yourself, aren't you? Fly <laughs> me. Uh, Matt, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yes, that intro was not even a setup. <laughs> no. All off our own back. We've just played it to ourselves before we came on air twice because we wanted to hear it again. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we, we were aghast and, uh, and uh, open mouthed and just overwhelmed. So thank you so much, Eleanor, for your backing, for your brilliant intro, and to everybody who has backed us so far this year in this very bizarre year when we were running our Kickstarter. We weren't expecting to, uh, to have not gone out of our uh, respective houses for the last month. Uh, but tennis podcasts continue and they are going to continue um catherine on this easter sunday happy easter if you celebrate easter by the way everybody uh catherine on this easter sunday is is unable to move at the moment because she has eaten an enormous amount for her dinner that she's prepared and cooked herself oh i did the prep um my uh, far more culinarily skilled flatmate did the the stuff that has potential to go wrong uh, and it didn't go wrong. Uh, I I mean, I accidentally stockpiled lamb uh, by ordering a, a joint of lamb, which I thought was was a normal normal quantity for two people. It turns out it was sort of a normal quantity for twelve people. <laughs> uh, um, but I've I've had a I've had a good go at that today, and now I've got the meat sweats. <laughs> She hasn't even had the dessert yet. What, what's dessert, by the way, Catherine? Before dessert we get to... is a crumble of all the fruit that was going off. Um, an apple and raspberry crumble. Right. It smells delicious, but I just I cannot contemplate the consuming of more food. My poor flatmate, who's lost her sense of taste and smell, uh, it's sort of, sort of um, a Due real act of martyrdom. 
well, I mean, she hasn't had a hasn't had a test, um, and uh, has you know, possibly, possibly. Right. Feels like you're in slow motion, Catherine. <laughs> the moment she'll feel like up, I'm folks, in slow worry. motion. She, she, she's she's been on the champagne uh, today, so don't you worry. She'll be she'll be perked up. I am on the tea because uh, I had a. You're bad making experience. me sound like I'm living a tennis player esque life of decadence. Yeah. Well. That's how you roll, isn't You've it? You've outed I mean, me. Yeah. Um, Matt looks a picture of health and uh, it looks as if he's just been running a marathon. How you doing, Matt? You're you right today? Actually, someone tagged me, a friend of mine tagged me in a in a challenge to run 5K today, which well, I'm just not get taking right up. in the bin, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's not doing that, folks. Um, okay, well, here, we're here to answer your questions. Don't listeners. respond to that peer pressure, Matt. No. Next week, we'll, we'll be back with another edition of Tennis Relived here on the Tennis Podcast. It's going to be Monte Carlo, and it's going to be Fed Cup, uh, and we're going to look back on a couple of classics uh, from from those two competitions in next week's show. Um but we wanted to answer your questions. Now, you may recall that when we were with you a few days ago, we said we'd already recorded one. True story. However, we're not going to play that one. We're going to do it all over again. And we're going to add new questions because we kind of feel as though questions that were asked of us before the coronavirus hit are perhaps... I don't know. I'm not sure we would have answered them exactly the same way as we might now. Um, or at least we feel as though we would be shortchanging you by giving you this jolly, we're all going about our business and, and having a lovely time, not in the confines of our four walls type of show. So we're going to give you the bunker version uh, right now and right here on the Tennis Podcast. F- questions have been flying in today on Instagram and Twitter. So we will get right to them starting with a question from sahi asher on twitter who says we know that we have gained by the dominance of the big four but what have we lost catherine i get to go first do i yeah despite my meat sweat situation i I believe in you (laughs) um <laughs> well, this this is one that we answered on the the previous show, so I do I, I have very pre formulated thoughts on this, and and obviously the the net is is positive from the big three slash four that goes without saying, and that's acknowledged in the question. But the question asks us to think of the negatives and the potential sort of um, unintended consequences, etc. And I think that's a really, really valid, important question, actually. Um, and the the thing that struck me most thinking about it was what we've lost in terms of the strive for equality, very much unintentionally, but I've, I have often felt over the past five to ten years that the the dominance and the greatness and the specialness of this era of men's tennis the big three slash four is often used as an excuse for inequality for inequality in scheduling in pay in coverage um and as brilliant as they are i i i think that's not good enough really and and also 
self-fulfilling. Um, you know, all of those, of course, objectively, the big three slash four are great and brilliant, but coverage, scheduling, media, etc., has all played a, a role in building them up to be what we all know them as, which is the big three slash four, which is obviously a lot less catchy than the big three or the big four. But I I missed in the question (laughs) uh, whether the question referenced the big three or four. So I've gone with three slash four. Uh, Okay, it says big four. Big four. uh, Okay, great. Inclusion of Andy Murray. I'm all for that. I kind of think big four is out of date. Really. Everything's out of date now. Tennis is out of date. Yeah, but come on. I mean, with all due respect to him, he's got three slams. They've got so seventeen Stamford to twenty. Frankie. Yeah, I mean, if you're including Murray, there's a strong argument that you have to include Vavrinka. Anyway, that wasn't the That's question. Not that. I was just going to say, at the time we lived through it, there was definitely a period where it was a big four. It would be yes. unfair to count Murray out of sort of 2010 to 2013. He was as much a factor, certainly, as Federer at a lot of the slams at that time. But I think history history will probably look back on it as a big three. As we get further and further away from it, people who didn't live through it, they'll just look at the numbers. And you can't argue with the slam totals that Djokovic, Federer and Nadal have compared to compared to Andy Murray. Um, and I think the point you make, Catherine, is a really interesting one, especially especially in this last 10 years where other sports have been slightly catching up with tennis in terms of the equality between the genders, where it has felt like tennis has slightly rested on its laurels a little bit. It probably is still in, out in front in terms of ahead of other sports, but it had an opportunity in this last 10 years where gender equality thankfully is so much more talked about and more important but it hasn't really progressed perhaps in the way that it could have done yeah absolutely i'd agree with that what about you david i think there are maybe some players that may have had a moment that didn't have a moment who would have really added something you know just in terms of variety and a different story Who's on that list? Mm. Name names. It's a good question, actually, because... By a moment, that is very David Law-esque vernacular. (laughs) Do you mean win a slam? Yeah, but become the story. Take breath away in a vague way. It's it's about becoming the story. A la Marin Cilic 2014 US Open. Do you think there would have been more Marin Ciliches? Yes. Yeah, I think there would have been... I'm try- I'm trying to think who they are though. That's a good because that's what logic tells me. But then I think about it. The the ones that really excite me, like Vavrinka. Well, he he gate crashed the party. I don't think I don't think Vavrinka would have gone and won loads more without those other guys there because I just don't think he's that kind of player. I think Murray would have won a lot more uh, probably, but I, I also think he he wouldn't necessarily have been as good a player without having to to drive himself on to those levels. So I'm t- I'm just trying to think who could, who did they meet in finals that that could have made well, their name. Songa? Yeah. Yeah, I found it I f- when when Songa reached the Oz Open final, I found that such an exciting story. He was so swashbuckling. It was like watching a superhero. 
Gonzalez? Yeah, less so for me. Although, even though his his um, his run to that final was full of winners versus unforced errors that the likes of which you've you've probably never seen before when he beat Tommy Haas I remember in particular um and then someone like Bagdatis who we had a, as an interviewee just before Christmas he, he, he might have might have won a slam obviously he got close but you wouldn't call this person's tennis swashbuckling or exuberant I don't think but I think a player who might have had a big impact would be Kane Shikori in terms of his ability to... He might have nabbed a slam. I mean, he's lost so many quarterfinals and semifinals to the big three. Um, you know, and he would have had a big influence, I suppose, on the Asian market in a in a similar way to what Naomi Osaka's had. Um, Grigor Dimitrov, in terms of tennis, could have been someone who could have caught fire and captured had imaginations. Won, had Dimitrov won a slam, do you think that that could have been a sliding doors moment? Do you think he could have gone on and actually done a lot, lot more then? Oh, if he'd have won one early in his career? How, Catherine loves these how, questions so much. I, I've uh, been wondering how far into lockdown it would have been before we started doing sliding doors. I mean, good, irrelevant. The answer to that question is irrelevant. Everything's irrelevant. Just <laughs> chat. He didn't and he hasn't. And there's a reason for those things. There's many reasons for those things. So if he did and he had, he'd be a different person. So sure, a different person might have won more than one had they won more. One. <laughs> David looks so annoyed <laughs> with me. <laughs> you knew what you were going to get, David. Sorry. Well, no, but I, I feel like in the spirit of the question... Uh, which is about those top three players. And he kept running into those players. Remember how well he was playing in that semi-final of the Australian Open? Remember how he looked like he was about to break through when Djokovic beat him at uh, at, at Wimbledon? A handful of times. They're the ones that got in the way, aren't they? He's run into those when he's been at his peaks, but plenty of times he's run into himself for sure more often than not he's actually run into himself let's say let's say he'd in 2014 when he had his first real breakthrough run imagine if he had not lost in four sets to Djokovic imagine if he'd have won the whole thing do you think that that could have do you think that would have changed him in terms of what he ended up going on to do after that versus what he has winning a grand slam would change anyone you go, Matt. I actually don't think he would have gone on to win loads after that because he would have still had all those guys in the way. I think the the only way he would have gone on to win loads if, if was if more of them were out of the way. I still think as good a tennis player as he is, there are more holes in his game than the big four. He's also, he's also a, a just maybe a bit nicer than all of them and I don't mean that they're not nice blokes like they're they're not good human beings but they will they will get you and I don't know about Dimitrov whether it matters enough to him to just roll over fangs fangs don't even it's Mm. the perfect word isn't it you don't need to say anything else yeah well done Mary (laughs) thank god for Mary 
I actually feel like the biggest what if person of this era is Del Potro. Yes. I think he was the guy who could have broken slightly or more the dominance and added more to tennis. I just think when he's been around, he's been a threat to the big four that they haven't had other than Wawrinka in, in odd moments. And it's a far more interesting thought experiment because the 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 data and the information is is there, right? You're, you're imagining a, an alternate universe where Del Potro didn't get wrist injuries and knee injuries and all the rest of it. Uh, what's his most recent one? Knee's the most recent one, isn't it? Yeah, um, is, is far more... Uh, plausible and sensible a thought experiment than imagining a world where Grigor Dimitrov is just a slightly different um, human being that is a Grand Slam champion. David's giving me the sort of looks that I give him. Oh my God, this is awful. (laughs) Mine's a more more polite. Um, Do you you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I I understand what you're saying. Um, And... I should say that this is meant to be a listener question special. We've taken 18 minutes to answer the first one. So we may need to do more of these shows, which is absolutely fine. Um, and uh, yeah, that one went all over the place. So how about this one from a David Whitaker who shares the uh, the important qualifications of not only being Catherine's dad, but also being the person responsible for the boat. Um, and David writes in to say a meteor impact did for the dinosaurs and allowed hitherto small and insignificant mammals to flourish in the post-apocalypse world who what where are the tennis and mammals that we will see gaining dominance post covid19 which is the best question we've ever by writing you mean sent me that on whatsapp at about six o'clock in the morning (laughs) one day It's writing yeah, in, isn't that's it? a little glimpse into Whitaker WhatsApping, everyone. It's writing in directly. That's yeah, the, direct to source. Well, yeah. what do you think? What do I think? Who is going to come through post-coronavirus? Can I say, I think the big, the big assumption in this, in this question is that the meteor strike being coronavirus will actually wipe out the dinosaurs being the big three i suppose and serena williams and and the question is will it i think it's it's kind of a two-part question that i mean to to some degree it'll depend on how significant this layoff ends up being um i would have thought i i really really worry at the moment for sitsapas for instance just in terms of the way he and I don't, I don't know this for a fact at all, but just the way he is coming across as if he's reacting to to this layoff. I, th- I mean, some people will will handle it better than others, and and yeah, he he is concerning me at the moment. How is when is he not say, concerning how is he you? Coming though? across, well, like yeah, relative how- to his baseline, though, David. Because I'll be honest, yeah. I've muted him. <laughs> When did that happen? <laughs> Sometime this week. It just got too much. <laughs> I think it was when he started posting about, are you Firefox, Internet Explorer or Chrome? Well, that was, I, just, I, I, I just thought I can't, can't deal with this who, anymore. Who is Internet Explorer? Well, what I loved anyway. about it was, it was, was 
when you in the little window that you seen on your timeline all you saw was what sort of person are you and i thought that's deep and i opened it up <laughs> and it was <laughs> chrome opera uh firefox uh depending on the browser that you use on on the internet um i just i just think he needs the framework the routine of that's why he's able to play all the time. I know he had burnout last year, but I think he could do with plenty of routine. And and it's very difficult to have any sort of structure at the moment unless you impose it upon yourself. And we were hearing from Liam Brody the other day, and I'm sure this applies to many players, of the challenge of establishing a routine for yourself when you do not know how long the layoff is going to last for it's not like an off season where you can just plan the blocks so i i worry for him um i hope that's proven to be wrong who i mean you know we've got zverev who is posting quite brashly about how he's going to come on strong big time once this is all over and he's going to really go for it and i would imagine he would do because he's He's somebody who's ultra dedicated and and professional, and I think will keep at it. But I don't know. I don't know. What do you not think? I I mean, as verifies, I agree with you. I mean, I I I back his his commitment and the the fact that he will work hard. Incidentally, a lot of what he's been posting is um been uh pretty but he posted a couple of things at the end of last week that showed not social distancing behavior which um is a bit of a worry um but anyway um yeah i think he'll work hard and i think he'll be committed and um i can understand why he's talking a good game but i don't think hard work commitment um and fitness are any of Zverev's issues um and I actually think part of his issues or part of the tapestry of his issues over the past year has been that belief that that if I just keep working hard I'll get out of this that'll get me out of this that'll be enough um you know I I think back to to after a couple of unnecessary five setters he played at the US Open last year after both of them and they were long matches one of them was against Tiafo uh, and uh, the one in the previous round I can't quite remember who against um, but both times he was out on the practice court straight away before showering after both matches just hitting forehand after forehand after forehand and looking ragged and frustrated and I don't know. It just didn't feel right to me. He was obviously thinking that if I just play enough, if I just said enough forehands, it will come, it'll come. And I'm sure there are examples in the past of that having worked. I'm sure that's the the sort of advice that Ivan Lendl would give you or or, Ivan, or uh, Andre Agassi. But I, it doesn't strike me as right for Zverev at the moment. Well, I remember in Australia, he did talk about kind of doing the opposite to that for this year's slam where he was he always said that in the past he treated slams differently he thought he needed to be more professional he didn't go out to dinner with people whereas this Australian Open he did he was more relaxed and he treated it like a more normal tournament but to me that felt like a just a reaction to what had happened to him at the ATP Cup where his tennis was disastrous rather than necessarily 
something ingrained in his mind of how he needs to do this going forward. Maybe it will be. Having had a good run in Australia, he will start to treat slams like that. But, I mean, one tournament isn't a big enough sample size, mm. really, to say that he's changed. I also think, just, sorry, David, um, just quickly on, on Sitsipas, um, look, I mean, with somebody is is quirky and unique as him it's pretty it's pretty difficult to to confidently predict how on earth a situation as quirky and unpredictable as this is going to um affect him but i do think there is an argument that because he's somebody that's very very in touch with his emotions i do feel like people like that are better equipped generally I'm talking outside of sport I'm talking about in the world in life now are slightly better equipped to to cope with what's happening um and you know I I think I mentioned it on the last podcast I keep harping on about it um but the podcast I listened to recently with the philosopher Alain de Botton talking about how (laughs) actually some aspects of this experience are quite liberating for people that experience anxiety um all the time anyway because suddenly everyone's experiencing anxiety and everybody's talking about it and it's suddenly this um common language and this common currency um which is which isn't marginalized anymore and i do think there's an argument that somebody like sits pass who usually inhabits a world where he's an oddball um and far more sensitive and in touch with his feelings and um um emotional i suppose or certainly um overtly emotional than those he's surrounded with i don't know i i do think it's possible that this could be in some ways positive for him uh, i'll i'll tell you a couple of people that that spring to my mind one just not necessarily him but more what he was saying and that's um, Matteo Berrettini, who had uh, – I don't really know how those things work on Instagram where you get two celebs uh, from the tennis world having a having what looks like a FaceTime chat and we can all see it. Uh, and that's what was going on between him and his girlfriend, Ala Tomljanovic, who is the top 50 player on the, on the WTA Tour. And they were sat side by side having a chat on video with Chris Evert which was a, a a very strange sight and it was actually quite an interesting conversation and one one particular bit of it really struck me Berrettini asked by Chris Evertz what what are you doing with your time how are you how are you handling this situation he said do you know i'm really studying my own game a lot on video and i'm looking at my backhand and trying to work out how to make it better because i know that it's not good enough and and I just thought that's really good that, you know, to, to see somebody looking into themselves and try to find some answers. So, you know, I, maybe that's one. Um, I also think that Ash Barty, I think I could see coming out and doing really well because I think that the, the grind, the treadmill of just going around and around on the circuit could eventually – get to her and she could have a period where maybe she needs another break not like when she was a young a young teenager but 
I don't think it'll do do her that much harm to have some time at home and and to be able to r- properly refresh and then come out firing again. Uh, and and I also saw, I've seen a lot of social media posts from Sloane Stevens about how she how much she misses tennis, and it seems to me that every so often she needs that shock to the system. Now, obviously, nobody wants lockdown like we've got at the moment this is something beyond what any of us could have imagined but if you remember that really serious injury that Stevens had and it just made her realize how much she was missing and she came out and won the US Open she got to the French Open final she should have won the thing um and you know she's gone back into that kind of malaise over the last year or so I think pl- there, there are some some differences that we could see as a direct result of this layoff in terms of who comes out firing. Yeah, I think those were really interesting points. I think, I mean, going back to what we we, we discussed something very similar with Mary, didn't she? And she was very clear that it'll it'll benefit. I mean, a this was a point that Matt made as well. It'll clearly benefit um, young players that have had injuries. Bianca Andreescu being the most obvious high profile one i mean this is if anybody's benefiting from the coronavirus obviously not on aggregate but in a very specific way it is her um and uh, players with very specific weaknesses in their game exactly as you described Matteo Berrettini Felix Auger Aliasim you can go away and work on that second serve over and over and over again um you know tennis doesn't give you periods to really change anything in your in your game it's barely possible to do more than than tweak and in terms of who it'll who the meteor will hit the most I I mean, in terms of how it will hit Federer and Nadal, Federer in particular, it's so dependent on time frames. Um, but I, the the one name that springs to mind is Serena, and that's backed up by by um, by what Mary Carrillo had to say as well. I just don't think any which way you look at this, it's any good for Serena Williams. Mm. No. I think that's probably probably true. And I can't, I can't believe that we're potentially looking at her not getting 24. Crikey. Because we all just thought it, it would happen. Anyway, that's a different question. Please don't tell me anyone's asked that question. The whole point for Serena going for 24 is so that there's no asterisk. You know, I think in most people's minds, she probably already is the greatest of all time. You know, she's beaten Steffi Graf's record, the open era record. But what coronavirus would do, this enforced break, is if she doesn't get there, it actually would have a kind of beneficial asterisk next to her name where, where you know, there would be a whole period, a whole year worth of slams where she would have had an extra chance to get to the 24, 25, I just hate it for Serena that she has to chase that number. Like the way who was the um, the bloke that won the uh, the hundred meters in the Olympic boycott year? Alan. Alan Wells. Alan Wells. Yeah. Nineteen eighty. There yeah. you go. Forever an asterisk. Mm. Sorry, yeah. Alan. But I'm not saying Serena's career would always have an asterisk. (laughs) Serena Williams (laughs) is not Alan Wells. No, but this this whole situation potentially asterisks everything, doesn't it? I mean, if, if we lost a whole year worth of slams, 
what if Djokovic didn't get there now, mm. for instance? He is still arguably at his absolute peak. I mean, even though the last couple of slams he's won, he's he's felt as low as though he's just kind of crawling his way over the finish line in, at Wimbledon and the Australian Open. He still won the things, but more or less, he's still at his peak. It's definitely the time to be the clubhouse leader. Mm. So Federer on 20. But obviously Federer's problem is that he's so much older than them. And this was perhaps his last year. Um, I think I think the Federer question, is, as you always say, Catherine, is can he can he maintain his canister, or is is time eating away at his canister, or is playing matches eating away at his canister? I don't I don't really know the answer to that question. I think we'll find out next year. I love the way the canister has just become part of our vernacular <laughs> <laughs> because of Roger Federer's use of the, of the word out of nowhere. Um, uh, it's like it's like the way I could, I, could, I always call. Vavrinka Stanimal. And I mean, it was Roger Federer who Do came you? up with that. I've yeah. literally never heard you say that before. Well, I do. I describe <laughs> myself as, as that when I'm really on. You know. I don't. <laughs> Move I don't. on, David. Right, next Move question. <laughs> I don't. Um, so thank you very much, David Whittick, for that question. We're, uh, we're 35 minutes in. We've Thanks, had two Dad. questions. Um, I, I do particularly like the wording, a meteor impact did for the dinosaurs and allowed hitherto small and insignificant mammals to flourish in the post-apocalypse world. So that's, uh, that's what you are. Welcome all. to my childhood. Uh, fantastic. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Thick. Right, now we have Thomas O'Donnell on Twitter who says, I would like to know what you would have loved to happen this year in 2020 uh, and what you thought was most likely going to happen in tennis this year until all this stuff happened. 
I would have loved more tennis to have happened yeah. in 2020. It's really all all I want. Yeah, yeah I mean, what, what, my my wishes what did you think was going to happen? That's not so low now. What What did you think was going to happen this year for the rest of the year? I mean, I actually have this on file. We all made predictions at the start of the year in terms of who would be number one, who would finish in the top ten, who would win. I Gold remember medals, things saying like that. that Carolina Mukova was going to finish in the top eight. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Can confirm. Yeah. I I, th- I definitely had Rublev in my top eight. I had big things going on for Rublev, which if the if the year ends now, he is in the top eight. So great. Um, I definitely didn't have Christian Garin there, though, who is currently in the top eight. He's right up in the there. race, anyway, not in the rankings. Um, yeah, I went. I went big on Mukova. <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you that I had uh, as the top ten on the women's side. I had Ash Barty, Naomi Osaka, then Serena Williams three. Um, did I have anybody interesting? Oh, it was uh, top the, ten, what? wasn't it? Not top eight. Yeah, I had Diana Yastremska as the world number seven. Uh, and on the men's side, I had Denis Shapovalov as the world number seven, uh, ahead of Rublev and Zverev, and the rest of them pretty much as you would probably expect. I thought that Ash Barty would win the Olympics and that Roger Federer would win the Olympics. Blimey. None of this is going to even happen now. Catherine, you went for Asaka and Djokovic to win the Olympics? Yes, I went for Osaka and Federer. You both thought Federer would win the Olympics? Yeah. Wow. Are these um, predictions going to end up in a museum somewhere? Like a coronavirus tennis museum? <laughs> that or the bin. <laughs> <laughs> which is the equivalent with of my, the tennis with podcast my luggage. museum. Yeah. Which is still okay. there, by the way. Today's the five-week anniversary of me packing that bag. It still hasn't been touched, no. folks. No. Uh, there Rosie was also- the dog had Coco Goff to finish in the top ten. Wow. I How's- suspect that might have been a misunderstanding on Rosie's behalf of the WTA eligibility rules. Come on, Rosie. <laughs> um, sort yourself out. Jeez. Um, there, there was a question here as well in our predictions at the start of the year. Put the following players in order of what you think their year-end ranking will be. Shapovalov, Rublev and Diminor. Rublev, Diminor, Shapovalov. Not what you said on January the 1st. Is it not? What did I say? <laughs> oh, God. What did I say? Catherine rewriting history after two um, months and a month off. Rublev, Shapovalov, Diminor. Oh, I take it back. Mm. David, did you see what you went for? I went for Shapovalov, then Rublev, mm. then Diminor. Oh, dear. And there was a Muguruza, Kerber and Stevens. Put those three in ranking order. Muguruza. That's the other one we went for. And we made those predictions before Muguruza's... Yeah, I put Muguruza first, so, you know. Yeah, same. I did, did I? No, well, probably did not. I, did I put... <laughs> Kerber. Oh. oh. Muguruza well, second and then Stevens. Still plenty of time, Catherine. There would have been. <laughs> not now. But, um, plenty of time, anyway. but not plenty of tennis. Did, did we all have Osaka winning the Olympics? No, David had Ash Barty. Ash Barty, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Thomas, thank you very much for your question, and particularly for this bit. If you could give a shout-out to my 98-year-old grandma, Cecily, in Melbourne, 
she's alone in isolation and it would make her day. She loves you three so much. You're, you're not alone, Cecily. You're not alone. No. Cecily, hello. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening to us. And we are thinking of you. And yes, you're not alone. As Catherine says, quite right. And we're going to be coming to you with tennis podcasts coming out of your ears. Like literally and all the time. I love the name Cecily. Yeah. Really you going to say name. anything, Matt? Say hello, Cecily. Hello, Cecily. How are you? <laughs> no pressure, Matt. Reply, Make it good. <laughs> oh, so thank you very much, Thomas, uh, for the question. Um, right. Who do you all wish you'd seen play live but never had the opportunity to? This is from Paul Spence on Twitter in Melbourne. Who would you have loved to see play live? I saw this question and the first name that came to mind was Monica Selesh. Because having having read everything about her, it sounds like no one had ever seen anyone play tennis like like her. Double-handed on both sides, more power than they'd seen before. And I think to, if you were living in that era, to see her live, that would have just taken your breath away. It would have been so extraordinary to see her. And then obviously the way she the way she swept the slams before obviously what happened to her when she was stabbed. I just think she was a player, you know, there's not really been a player who's had a sustained period of dominance like that on either, on either tour. You know, I think she won seven of eight slams at one point. She had a run like that. Extraordinary. And the way she did it. So that was the one that leapt out at me. Um, I mean, it's a slightly skewed question for me because there aren't many players I haven't seen live because I spent so much time as you did David on the on the Champions Tour so I've seen I've seen most players live albeit not, not all of them in their prime well I don't I don't know and of course it it slightly skews my feeling of uh, it skews everything it skews everything so and uh, I've never seen Steffi Graf play. Um, I've never seen her play an exhibition. She's been so absent from tennis since her retirement. Um, and she was one of the very first tennis players I remember being aware of when I was um, a little kid. So I'd love to sort of teleport back in time and see her. And then maybe somebody, somebody with a, a, a sort of a sprinkle of magic about them that you could only experience if you were there. Somebody like Yannick Noah or or Arthur Ashe, maybe. I I have seen Yannick Noah play at one exhibition in in Paris, but it was a it was a real hit and giggle affair. Um, and I think he brought his guitar out onto the court. It was very much more a his Yannick Noah mostly playing the guitar, but also happening to have a tennis racket than it was a his Yannick Noah French Open champion type affair. So, so yeah, somebody that somebody with a a an aura about them that probably can't be captured um, on TV or in writing or anything like that. Those those are the ones I'd say. David, uh, you've I, seen everyone. Well, yeah, but I have a very specific wish list from. I've got three players, but all under specific conditions <laughs> that I would love to see. And all of them pretty much the same. I would love to see 
Martina Navratilova playing at the French Open against Chris Evert. Um, you know, I'd love to see Stefan Edberg trying to win the French Open, serving a volleying. I, I remember watching John McEnroe play the French Open, I think in his final year, and he, and he had... He had a couple of decent matches, and it was a, it was a year when I think it was about ninety two, and I, th- I remember seeing Henri Leconte get to the semis that year, and he was just incredible that year, just playing the most swashbuckling tennis, all attacking tennis. I love seeing somebody bring attacking tennis to clay, a little bit like the way Henman did in in two thousand four, and in ninety two, McEnroe played. I think it was Nicholas Culty. And he he was like half volleying returns off the off the service line. He was standing almost on the service line to just half volley, bunt, and come in. And I would love to watch live that sort of contrast of 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 what you expect clay court tennis to be and what those players turned it into because they just brought their own games. They didn't care. I always used to be very frustrated watching. Pete Sampras, who was my favourite player before I got involved in tennis, not playing his own game on clay, it seemed to me. He'd always be looping backhands back and forth because that's what you do, hitting these topspin shots rather than just going at players. And in 96, which is the best year he ever had at the French Open, he got to the semi-finals. he beat in succession Courier, former champion Brigera, former champion Todd Martin, and eventually ran out of steam and ran into Kafelnikov, who won the thing. Um, but he just played his own game. And I love seeing that. I love seeing these all-time greats with, with huge attacking games have a go on clay and try to decode it. Um, so that's what I, what I wish I'd seen. What about Nadal at the French Open, David? Something which something mm. you wouldn't have seen live. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to witness. I'd love to see anything at the French Open. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, <laughs> this year is going to be the that year. That is relevant. Yeah, I mean, the plans have been torpedoed. I mean, obviously, I, it could was, happen in September, so I but I don't know what this was like, and and the the rebuilt Philippe Chatrier court and all the changes that are being made may mean that it is not how I imagine it to be, but. If I go back in time to the early 90s, the mid-90s, when I was first falling in love with tennis, and, and actually the French Open was almost the, the one I fell for the most because it was in my time zone. I was supposed to be revising for my exams. I wasn't. I was failing them as a direct result of the French Open. And I would watch these matches, and there was a sound. There was a sound when the, they hit the ball that was like nothing else that I have ever heard in tennis. It was... It would make shots sound like they were being hit way, way harder than maybe they were or maybe they would seem to be hit anywhere else because it it would reverberate around particularly the Philippe Chatrier court. I don't know whether it's like that in person if you go there, whether you hear that same thing. But if you go back to watch old matches with Courier in the early 90s and people like that who were belting the ball, the sound would just intoxicate me and... uh, I would love to experience it firsthand. I generally do think tennis is best experienced live, but there is something there is something very magical about having just an idea in your head about what something is like. 
and not having experienced it yourself. There's something innocent and pure almost about it. I remember always thinking that way about the Australian Open. I mean, I love the Australian Open. I'm very grateful and fortunate that I've been able to be there, but it is different when you've been because it, inevitably it doesn't quite match what you think it is. And it's awful when you, I mean, this applies to all sorts of things that you dream about, not just tennis events, but you then can't remember what you imagined. Mm. And you try and grasp it back. And it's like a fading, fading photograph in your mind. Mm. Speak, speaking of the French Open and all the changes they've made, I, I did watch some old French Open recently and I was a bit sad now that they've got rid of the green seats on on Chatrier and that, that used to just look like such a nice stadium. And I do think the sort of beige kind of wooden seats they've got, just thinking about it, I, I'm not sure that's a positive change aesthetically. Hmm. You're not selling this to me, man. <laughs> it's all right, David. You ain't not. You're not I'll literally not missing anyway. anything. <laughs> uh, maybe one day I'll go. I've ne- see, the thing is, folks, I've never been to the French Open. I've always been working at Queens whenever I've worked in tennis, um, and that's always come straight afterwards. So I've just never managed to go to the French Open. I was going to go this year. There isn't a French Open this year, or at least not one that's going to take place in May and June. So maybe, who knows, maybe I'll be able to go in September, October, November, goodness knows when, next year. Um, We'll find out. I think we've got time for one more question. We've had, what, three? Three questions? This terrible efficiency. (laughs) But uh, I'm enjoying it nonetheless. Um, So we have a question here from... Mitch, Mitch Vernon on Facebook, who says, is Kyrgios on the boat? Well, when we originally recorded this um, in a different lifetime, all of what, six weeks ago, I said, no, he's not on the boat and uh, went into a long-winded explanation of why. And I reported that to my dad who reminded me that I'd got that completely wrong. And actually, this was something that had been discussed on the Whitaker WhatsApp group, and I just completely misremembered it. So I'm very pleased to have an opportunity to put the record straight, even though nobody heard the original record. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the answer is that he would be allowed on the boat, but only if he asked because by asking, he would show the qualities that would make him boatworthy. But he'd have to, you know, not be too cool to ask. That's good. It's like you, you can't imagine him like asking if he could go to a party, right? He's going to wait to be invited to the party. He's that guy. <laughs> would he get on the HMS Roberts? <laughs> Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> I thought I had the boat down. I'm confused now. Um, does that d- mean anyone who asks a, No, no, is no, on no. That's boat? a Kyrgios specific a Kyrgios only rule. Okay, that's Kyrgios only. Yep, because he he he's a real curveball because he has lots of boatworthy qualities. Um, which are which are? Oh, hang on a second. I don't want <laughs> to. Actually, I don't want to misreport again. She's- Catherine is consulting the WhatsApp group to find out what a dad I'm said. I'm searching through my WhatsApp chats for the word boatworthy. 
the official boat verdict. Because even without the criteria, I thought, based on who I know is on the boat, I had a little grasp of what was required to be boatworthy. People like John Millman, Andy Murray, Ash Barty, you know, there's some overlap there. But then Kyrgios is just, other than being Australian... Doesn't really. What was fit. the definition? What hang of on, I've now had to search Kyrgios in the Whitaker WhatsApp group. What happened on January twenty seventh? Because on that day, my dad said, "I don't think Kyrgios is making it onto the boat today. I've cancelled his boarding pass." <laughs> Not what, grown what, up enough, he said. But I don't know when that was. Verdict? What was your dad's definition of being on the boat again? Hang on. I see. I seem to remember you telling us that he, he wouldn't be p- putting up with any nonsense. Or any, um, oh no, no silliness, absolutely. No kind of scene, yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Curious has got no chance, <laughs> nobody, yeah, he wouldn't be interested in a scene. Um, yeah. hang on, hang on, talk amongst yourselves. I, folks. I mean, see, in the last week, we've seen Nick Curious go on Instagram and say to his more than a million followers. If anybody needs anything, let me know. Yeah, that's lovely. It's got nothing to do with the boat. No, no, let me finish. And I'll come and bring it to you. (laughs) Like physically, he will... I mean, for a start, is that allowed at the moment in lockdown? B, what a lovely thing to say. C, how how realistic is this if, if... I mean, and apparently... People were coming to him and admittedly he was saying, look, if you're in Bucharest, I'm not going to make it. Um, But apparently he was just sort of packing stuff up and sending it off to people. (laughs) Amazing, really. Okay, I found the requirements. No ego, no attitude, no preciousness. Well, I mean, he hasn't got any of that, has he? (laughs) He's got no chance. He hasn't got... He's got um, an ego, he's got an attitude, and he is precious. <laughs> I mean, I love the guy, but he's all of those things, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just reporting that my dad said... But here's said, the thing. I think if you get Kyrgios on his own, away from away from I, a crowd, you know, if I, you get him on the boat on his own, I reckon he's a good lad. Yeah, I do too. And I think David Whitaker would be a good influence on him. I bet he'd be really polite. I bet he'd be ever so nice. I bet he'd come up to your dad and he'd say... Yes, sir. What what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Well, deference to the skipper is definitely a essential quality. So I would hope so. Would I reckon he'd bring find a himself of wine. overboard. I reckon he. I reckon he. You know, bring something nice for your mum. Oh, David, my mum is not on the boat, nor <laughs> does she want to be. No, but you know, he'd be depositing that <laughs> at, at the sort of boat side on the my mum is harbor. waving the boat off from the shore happily yeah, and he and curious would be leaving with her with a nice gift that he'd thought through right, beforehand okay. before getting on the boat the gift that's is not I, being on the boat <laughs> that's what i think curious would be like i think he would put once he realized that actually nobody that he knows was watching he he'd he'd be a lovely fella yeah, and I and I think those attributes are why special uh, consideration has been made for the eligibility criteria in in Nick Kyrgios's case. Okay. So we, we've not got that far today here on the tennis podcast. We've got time for one more. 
we have we a quickie We've got f- four minutes catherine we're not i mean the rate we're going this is not going to bode, bode well let's try minutes. one more five minutes okay all right. Come we'll, on. we'll try one more a folks, quickie all right? yeah all right um <laughs> let's see i've turned into david law this is i, I need a quick one <laughs> Uh, okay, will the more united ATP WTA be a more permanent change? That's not a quick Asks. one. That's says, analysing as... the whole governance structure of tennis. All right then, did Save the three of you? Can... Matt's just shaking his head, so no, it wouldn't be more permanent change. Uh, did the three of you hate blue clay as much as Nadal did? Asks Kida Nagarian on Instagram. I, I loved blue clay. Loved blue clay. Yeah, we're all blue clay fanatics. I mainly loved it because so many people hated it. Yeah, it was which the made it, was, it fun. It was the aggro of court surfaces, wasn't it? It was the. But it looked cool. It was the Yulia Putintseva of uh, of court <laughs> surfaces. It was brilliant. You could see the ball. You could. It looked like they were playing on the moon. I mean, it was great. <laughs> yeah, it only worked as a as a. I mean. It sort of didn't work, but um, it only worked as a disruptor, didn't it? I mean, I would never be in favour of blue clay becoming the new clay. Um, no, but, but as a sort of one-off novelty disruptor event, I I liked it. It was cool. I do seem to remember getting about four days in, though, and thinking, I think I've had enough of this now. <laughs> so, I, I I mean, and then, and then I felt bad about that afterwards when they ditched it. Um, so no, I'd like blue clay to return, and all all this stuff about oh, I don't like blue clay. It's blue clay. It's slippery. No, the clay is slippery. It's not because it's blue. Why would that be? I mean, <laughs> I think it was more slippery than normal clay. Why would it be slippery because it's blue? It's just well, the presumably particular because clay. of the because of something they put synthesizing in synthesizing process. Yeah. Don't believe it. <laughs> I think it's in the head. Well, you've killed that conversation in time for us to to wrap up within the hour mark, David. Yeah, see? Told you. Not we your all first anyway. radio. Uh, so have we got any shout-outs today, Matt? Yes. Excellent. Um, what we got? We have Gillian Dobson. Thank you, Gillian. Shout-out to Gillian. Uh, Cindy McMillan. Good on you, Cindy. And Lars Graf. Hey. No way. Yeah. Lars. Hey. Gillian, <laughs> oh. Cindy and Lars Graf. What a trio. One. The umpire. Oh, fantastic. Um, so there you are. That's the Tennis Podcast for another edition. We will be back with another one. We've got about 25 questions to get through here. Uh, so we're going to have to have other editions of the uh, the listener question specials, which we will be having uh, alongside Tennis Relived coming your way next week for sure. Uh, I'm trying to twist arms to do more shows in the midweek as well, but, you know, I might not win that, but I'll try. Uh, and we'll be back again very soon. So tell your friends, if you've enjoyed this, to listen to the tennis podcast. Tell your family, even if they don't like tennis, get them into it just so they can listen to us. Um, and sign up to our newsletter if you'd like to read our isolation diaries, and they are full of fascinating content. Um, well, certainly content. Stout, yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, Catherine's doing jigsaws every week, basically, folks, and big ones are that. So you can read all about that in the newsletter. In your show notes, you can sign up free to get that every single week. Uh, Reddit is our 
the tennis community, which uh, Ian, listener Ian, has sorted out. And if you are feeling a bit lonely and you want to have a chat to other tennis friends, go onto our Reddit page and sign up there and there'll be lots of people to talk to and we are of course brought to you with our lovely mascot butler who as we told you a couple of days ago has not been so well so we're thinking of your butler we're thinking of your owners as well and if you get a chance to see a picture of butler take it he's a belter and we'll see you next week a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.